Welcome to The Press Office with Kate and Co-PR, the podcast that gives you an exclusive and unfiltered look behind the scenes of the Australian media landscape and public relations industry. I'm your host, Marissa Jane, a publicist here at Kate & Co PR. And if you are dreaming of a career in public relations, are an aspiring journalist, or simply just obsessed with all things digital and traditional media, then this is the podcast for you. Hello and welcome back to the Press Office with Kate & Co PR. In this week's episode, I am thrilled to be chatting with Katarina Kroslakova, who is no stranger to the world of luxury and print media and is currently the editor-in-chief and publisher of the New York Times style magazine, T Australia. We discuss all about why print media will always have a place in the hearts of many, how Katarina's career has taken shape and led her to where she is today, and how T Australia measures success in relation to everything from their colours to features. As always, if you love this episode, please subscribe and share via Instagram. Now, let's get on to the interview. Hello, Katarina, and thank you so much for joining me today on the press office. I am thrilled to chat to you. So do you mind quickly introducing yourself what you do and how you got to where you are today. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to having a chat with you. And I also love what you do with the podcast and I love what um, Kate and Co does with the PR world. It's been a wonderful 10, 15 years working with the company actually. So it's really lovely to reconnect. Um, well, uh, my name is Katarina and I, I guess I'm also surprised as to how I got to where I am, to be honest with you, but it's been a funny old journey. Um, I am currently the editor-in-chief and publisher of T Australia, which is the um, New York Times style magazine. It's a brand new product in the Australian market. I believe the New York Times have been wanting to have it in the market for a little while and we decided to get started on the journey about 12 months ago. And where I got to today, well, I think we'll spend the next little while talking about that, but basically I've um, fell in love with journalism by complete accident and it's just been the best accident of my life. I love that. I love a happy accident. I think that's how the best stories start. And I guess just looking at that starting point, how did you start your career as a journalist and then transition now as a publisher? Well, I was actually destined to be a number of things before that. I was quite good at gymnastics and ice skating. I grew up in what was then known as Czechoslovakia. So we did quite a lot of sport, you know, the whole sort of winter Olympics and summer Olympics kind of sports like gymnastics and um, ice skating. And then I was actually quite good at piano. So I guess my main destiny was to be a classical pianist. And classical piano took me to London. I got a scholarship to study at the Royal Academy in London. And while I was there, I was what, 17, 18, 19? That was kind of the, the time. I um, was very lucky enough to be introduced to some key people at the BBC and that's when the light bulb moment happened. So I had been doing quite a lot of media back home in Australia for all my kind of prizes and scholarships and whatever for piano when I was a kid and I didn't love the experience but I was always fascinated by it. I had lots of daggy photo shoots and lots of bad interviews in community papers and all that kind of stuff and um, so I was very exposed to media at a very young age, but I didn't love being on the other end, I guess, on the other side, but I was fascinated by it. And so when I had the opportunity to 
um, enter the world of the magical BBC, that's when I realized I really wanted to do the switch and go onto the other side of the microphone and the other side of the camera. And so that's, um, that's, that's when the bug bit. Um, I was in my late teens. Literally, you have this plan where you're going to be one thing and then it's like almost overnight it changes and you want to be something completely different. So I spent the next couple of years working um, at the BBC on and off. Um, I was in London, I was in Birmingham and Manchester and got a really huge amount of experience and breadth and training from one of the most incredible institutions in media in the world. And I, I knew I was very lucky back then and I just realised looking back now just how extraordinarily lucky I was. So um, that's when... I learned about interview technique and production and editing and live broadcasting and all the intricacies that come with TV and radio and all the various different platforms. And then I finished my degree, I still finished my degree in music, um, came back to Australia, did a master's degree at UTS. But while I was doing my master's degree in journalism, I was working the whole time. Like I was your quintessential annoying I want to do this. Let me do this. Can I do work experience? Can I do this? Can I join you? Can I, like, I was just like a little energizer bunny doing everything from the coffees, the filing, the opening, the mail, the, the transcribing, like just everything, every notice board at my university with every bit of volunteers wanted or interns wanted. Like I just, I did everything I literally did everything I went to the Herald I went to 2GB I went to ABC I went everywhere did every dodgy job trained myself up got the contacts um just had zero ego about it and like all the enthusiasm of a brand new career and a brand new world that was just opened up to me so yeah we really worked um, probably about two or three jobs while I was still at um, university finishing the master's degree. And um, yeah, then when that finished, then I, I guess I just started the, the, the career path that I'm on now and started working in magazines and TV and radio, had a really incredible um, range of opportunities offered to me in all aspects of media, actually. It's been very broad and all those things kind of interconnect and work well together and um, make you a better radio broadcaster if you're a good scriptwriter, they make you a better editor if you're a good film person. Like it all works really well together. So it's actually been very complimentary and um, extremely good, um, extremely good training grounds and opportunities that I've had through the years. You have lived so many lives. I am <laughs> so impressed. And I think, you know, that's such a great story to share that, you know, where you start isn't where you're always going to end up. And like the people that do really well and really interesting things are those people that are putting their hand up for all of these kind of experiences and, you know, volunteering. And yeah, so I think that is very important to share. And now, obviously, you're at Tea Australia. Do you mind sharing an overview of what Tea Australia actually is? Actually, it's really important what you said, the point before that what you start up with isn't what you end up being. This is so true because I came to Australia. I was born in Czechoslovakia and I was raised there. I came to Australia when I was eight years old. I literally did not know a word of English. Didn't. Didn't know a word of English. Because why would you, right? I mean, we made the decision as a family to come 20,000 kilometres away. And it's like, it's not, I mean, the languages I learned back home, they were German and they were Russian, but certainly not English. And now I legit have to 
pinch myself when I look at my email signature and it says the New York Times. I just think, how has this happened to this little <laughs> to this little European kid who like knew no English? But anyway, so that's been kind of it. Really has been the most unexpected 180 of my life. So T T Australia is a bit of an icon. It's a bit of a cult magazine in the US. It started, I believe, in 2004. So T is basically the style magazine of the New York Times. So the New York Times is, again, 180 plus years of media heritage, history, high standards, quality, like it's just a giant. And they realized, um, what, 20 years ago, that there was a demand for quality journalism in the lifestyle field and in the style field. And they started this magazine called T. And since then, in the US, it's an insert. So it's a newspaper insert. So they actually put it into the, um, I think the Sunday edition of the paper every month. Uh, Since then, it has grown around the world. So there are editions throughout Europe, throughout Asia, um, Asia Pac, and it actually is growing. We're having conversations with them. It is constantly growing. So it is in random destinations like Qatar and Spain and Japan and China and a lot are now coming up in Europe. So it's a really wonderful way of combining the quality of New York Times and combining their journalism with a very strong local stamp and a strong local footprint. So what the concept of the magazine in the global landscape is with all the different sort of licensed editions is you take the best, you cherry pick what you think is really appropriate for your market from the flagship edition, and then you commission stories, photo shoots, essays that resonate with your local market and you combine the two together and create something which we like to say gives local authority but with global context and it's a really rare beast because there is a lot of budget and emphasis and thought and intellectual creativity behind long-form journalism and photo essays and everything has to start from quality and integrity and ethics and journalism, you know, like the actual heart of what storytelling is about. So that's a really, really, really rare position for us to be in that we actually have the starting point of what feels right in your tummy, what feels right in your heart, as opposed to just being commercially driven. So that's been extraordinary. So T Australia, I believe has been on the cards for a while. Australia is, um, I'm going to say the second most important market for New York Times as a brand um, outside of North America and Canada. Wow, that is so interesting. We are huge, huge, absolutely huge. The readership of the New York Times online, the Australia section is, I mean, it's in the millions. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't believe that when I was first starting to have these discussions with them. I just could not believe it, like millions. Yeah, I'm shocked. I would not have guessed that at all. (laughs) No, same. And so I actually got some of my IT guys to verify that behind the scenes and they did verify it and it's actually millions. And so that's what kind of encouraged me to take um, take the opportunity on. So they approached me probably, I'm gonna say maybe four or five years ago. 
But at the time, um, I'd been working with them with some other publications and they must have obviously seen some kind of vision or some something in me, which is, um, you know, to this day surprising, but also incredibly flattering. So we had been talking for a while and the timing just didn't seem right at the time. But yeah, I mean, we'll get to this a little bit later on in your questions. But yeah, it just it felt right a year ago. But yeah, so T Australia is basically um, the New York Times print presence in this country as well so we do have a bureau here they're based in bondi um, with some incredible journalists and we try and use as many of them as possible in our magazine but they'll only ever be an online property they won't have a print version so for new york times to have a print presence here to have something physical to be able to hand out and to take to meetings and to show people um and also for me to then send back to new york and for me to send to asia pack like it's actually been um a beautiful little printed tool to be able to show people a what New York Times can do here in Australia, but um, also what Australia is, like what our sense of style is and what our sense of humour is and all that kind of stuff. So it's been, yeah, it's been literally a year um, this month that we've started this uh, crazy <laughs> journey and um, yeah, going strong. Yeah, well, we absolutely love it here at Kate & Co. And I just would love to understand your thoughts, like, Obviously, in terms of media, a lot of outlets are turning to digital only. And you did start a print magazine during this time. Why was it so important to have this print version? And do you think that there is still space for print magazines in the future of the Australian media landscape? I do. So obviously, um, there was a horrific year in journalism and media in Australia when all those good magazines closed. And that was a real shock to the industry, shock to the PR industry, shock to comms, shock to journos, shock to like consumers. Why did L close, Harper's, Men's Health, Women's Health? Like it was just carnage. It was carnage. And it was, it affected a lot of people very strongly. And obviously there were some fundamental flaws with some of those business models and um, the financials and all sorts of, you know, behind the scenes contractual stuff. Obviously, there were some problems. It wasn't just an arbitrary decision, but it was pretty brutal. And the reaction from that, when actually subscription numbers to magazines at the time, for example, when Harper's closed, they were really encouraging. The subscriber numbers were really good. And I took that reaction from the industry and I thought about it very long and hard and I also thought about the creatives that were in the country at the time due to COVID that was the first you know COVID 1.0 um and we had all this incredible talent in Australia and I thought they've got no work they've got nothing to do what are we going to do and also I mean I'm not that old I thought I can't possibly I wrote for Harper's and when that closed that really broke my heart because it was my favorite writing job of my entire life and I thought someone has to do something. I, I just thought we have to go against this horrific trend. Otherwise, the industry that I love, that I don't want to leave, is just going to go. It's going to crumble right in front of my eyes, and I didn't want that to happen. So um, the strong reaction to the magazine's closing um, and the fact that we had a wealth of talent here that we pretty much never had here before in such a high concentration and the fact that I wanted to do something, play my small part in trying to either resurrect or maintain a print industry that I loved, that's what made me start the print magazine. Also, I'd been in luxury publishing for a long time, 15 years, and I know for a fact 
that the luxury advertisers, the people that you guys deal with daily, they still want print. Print is not dead. It will never be dead. And it's not just, it's, it's our age range is incredible. And this has been one of the things that I found really surprising as well. When you go into the deep dive data of your subscribers, we actually was thinking I was going for like a 35 plus, but it's actually not. It's 25 plus right up till about 65, 70. So there's two very important um, markets that I've had to look at. I thought it was going to be like the my age kind of people, you know, the 35, 45. I thought, okay, cool. I'll just like tailor the mag for them. But actually, no, A, there's a lot more younger people getting the magazine. And there is a whole segment of accomplished, fabulous, stylish, kick-ass, fantastic women who are from the sort of 55, 65 age group that are feeling like they're left out. And that was really interesting. I had a few conversations with some old girlfriends of mine. And they're like, my mom's got nothing to read. And I thought my mom's got nothing to read. I mean, there's a couple of things, but you know, you got to make it relevant. So that's been like an amazing challenge to be able to provide that breadth of content for like such a wide age group. And also men and women, we're 50% men and 50% women, um, which I think is super, super cool. And you do get to combine the two together. So we're kind of, you know, across the ages, across the genders, across the interests, it's been a real um, interesting project editorial to chart to try and get the mix right. Um, so I think a print magazine, weirdly enough, was the right thing to launch in this lockdown time because you get it delivered safely. It comes in wrapping. It's clean. It's it's hygienic. Even if you're in lockdown, you get it. If you give people good content, good stories, beautiful photography, an interesting flow, an interesting mix, you are actually one of the most welcome parts of the day because you provide that escapism and you provide that engagement. And all the content that we tend to do, um, I like to look at people who are successful in a way. It doesn't necessarily have to be financial or career-wise, but I like journeys, challenges, overcoming them, stories sacrifices, you know, spectacular turnarounds or whatever. Like I like content and personal profiles and stories that have got some learning and inspired lessons behind them. And again, I think that's really tapped into the zeitgeist really well because people read that and go, aha, you know, you want people to get your mag and actually get something out of it. You don't want to just like flick the pages. You want strong, strong, strong engagement on every page, whether it's a unusual photo shoot that makes you go, uh-huh, okay. Or whether it's a story that makes you go, yeah, I can do that. Or like you just want that engagement on every single page. And I think with print, that's the magic. That's where the magic happens is the, 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 the tactile experience of turning the page and having the heavy mag and the beautiful stock and the gloss and really taking those risks to be able to get people to engage with you on every single page and give them that and also the magazine is really thick, like it's a lot of pages. So it's a quarterly, we're going up to a bi-monthly next year and then 10 or 11 issues the year after, God help me. But um, we're certainly, we're, you, want, you want to provide people enough content there to last them a while. Like this is not a five minute magazine. So that's why I thought print was um, definitely the key to the success of this um, particular brand and the publication because I think people have been giving me the feedback that it does actually um, fill that gap that we were trying to fill in the first place, yes. I think there were two really interesting things that you kind of touched on just then. 
One of them being, I guess, from our side that when we work really closely with our clients when planning the strategy for their PR campaign, there is still a huge emphasis from their end for print coverage. So I think from a publicist's point of view, there is always going to be space for print media. And then also, I I found it really interesting that the gender breakdown and the age breakdown is so, I guess, diverse, which is great because it it really caters for everyone. Uh, I think too, with like the younger market too, which I sit in, we kind of had the Dolly, the Cosmos, but then when we got a little bit older, we didn't really have the magazines to graduate to, but we were so invested into that print medium as well. So I do think, yeah, that is such a huge gap in the market that you are clearly filling. I remember I was at the Fin Review for 10 years and I remember being at airports and people buying the Fin Review, folding it in half and putting it under their armpit when they're boarding their plane and it was a bit of a status symbol. I remember that distinctly and it was so funny. We were still always joke about it in the newsroom that, you know, the, the copy of the Fin is like a status. And I think T... I completely underestimated this at the time, I have to be perfectly honest with you. I did not realize the following it had here, but the strongest reaction I have had is that age group 25 to 35, where people say, I love this mag so much, I get it in New York, I'm so glad it's here. And I'm like, but how do you know this mag? Like they know the mag better than I do. So it's a bit of a, it's not a status symbol, but it's certainly a, it's a cool thing. It's the, I mean, how many, how many guys, uh, guys and girls do you see carrying the New Yorker tote bags? It's a cool thing. Anything to do with New York is really, really cool. So I think that 25, 35 age group for me, that's been the surprise. It's like people resonate with New York a lot because that's obviously <laughs> the city of dreams. And so T is this thing where they've seen it on their travels or um, or they've you know approached them for work, like for a, for a client relationship, or they just know about it or they've read an interview with whoever. Like it's just, I mean, T in the US, they had Michelle Obama on the cover. Like this thing is phenomenal, right? I mean, I don't know who the equivalent would be here. Not that, not not that rich in options, but um. So yeah, so that's that's been the thing that's been uh, surprising to me is the engagement with the twenty five to thirty fives, and the fact that they're so passionate about it. And also, Marissa, I had people subscribing to the mag, and I'll never I'll never get over this. I had people subscribe to the mag for three years before we even launched, and this is just like a complete like. I, I just can't, I can't understand this. It's like a complete brain spin for me. So we launched the mag with a press release in October last year, a year ago. And then my subscription manager, who I worked with for a long time, she goes, make sure you have subscriptions up before Christmas. And I said, Bruna, I don't even know who's on the front cover. She goes, doesn't matter, as winger. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. I can't be like this. She goes, no, you're having subscriptions before Christmas. You've got to lock them in. <sighs> okay, I hadn't started a word didn't have a word, didn't have a photo shoot locked in. I had nothing done because this is all done in literally six weeks. Um, and she says, no, 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 it'll be fine. It'll be fine. You just, you know, get a bit of cash flow going. I'm like, okay, whatever. So you just trust people who you employ, I guess. And so I trusted her. I'm like, okay, cool. Let's just do it. So we got onto iSubscribe. We got onto MagShop. We got our own um, e-com going. And our first issue wasn't until March the following year. And that's when I started seeing the real love for the brand i guess when it was those younger people subscribing for three years to the mag like i said before i even knew who was going to be on the cover before we'd even let people know anything about it i i personally i would not do that i legit would not do that i would never subscribe to anything for three years or one year before knowing a little bit more about it you want to see the first one right now 
people were like so believing in this thing and so confident that <laughs> about what we would do that they um, subscribed for three years. I thought that is just honestly, I'm so like bowled over and so incredibly grateful for people who kind of, I mean, I know it's not a huge cost outlay. I understand that, but it's more than that to me. To me, it's the belief. So yeah, that was wonderful. I think that just leads really nicely into my next question about were you, I guess, really surprised by this reception? Obviously, it comes from the the brand love from New York. And I'm sure the the thought of wanderlust in a time of a pandemic where we can't go to New York probably helps that case too. I have been completely surprised, completely surprised by, I guess, every aspect of the process. I have been I have been surprised, like I said, by the fact that people subscribed so quickly, so early on. I've been surprised by um, advertiser support, I have to say. Now, obviously, I had to be a little bit commercially savvy about this and do due diligence and research before this crazy thing actually took off. And obviously, through my years in the industry, I felt comfortable enough talking to some of my close contacts in the advertising industry and saying, look, if we were to do this, would you come on board? And um, there were a few key people who never advertise in a brand new magazine for the first 12 months. And there were a few key people who said, yep, we're in all year, day one, let's do it. And that again, I mean, I've, I've launched a lot of magazines and getting um, luxury advertisers to be with you on your journey from issue one is freaking impossible. It is so hard, right? And I get it. There's global guidelines, there's protocol, there's brand, there's all sorts of things that you have to meet from Paris to New York to Singapore to wherever. And so for a few of my key contacts to come on board from issue one, that's kind of what made me think, okay, so these eight fabulous magazines have closed. Where are you spending your money? Oh, nowhere. Hello. So that was kind of uh, a a big decision factor for me as well. So that was really, really incredible. And I do not take that for granted at all. I literally just don't take it for granted because to have that much advertiser support has been like unheard of, absolutely unheard of. And I'm so like humbled. Um, and the readers have been good. Readers have been, um, that's, the, that's the other surprise. The readers have been, as you say, broad, but also from overseas. So we have got people from Japan and France and US subscribing. And again, I'm like, but you have your own teas. Why do you want my tea? <laughs> there is a tea in Japan. You don't need, but anyway, so they've been doing that. We also, um, we also go to New Zealand. So that's been lovely. Um, we're distributed in across New Zealand. So that's been kind of good. Um, so the whole thing's been good. Yeah. It's just, it's the awareness and recognition and love for the magazine, like really strong love for the magazine. That's been, um, it's almost like, oh, I wish I'd done this five years ago, but no, actually, I don't wish I'd done this five years ago. I was doing other stuff, but um, yeah, it's been it's been good. It's been really, really good, um, and that's obviously allowed us to do some incredible, exciting, widening plans for things which are not just the magazine. You know, it's like we're making this thing, this whole brand, this sort of in your face <laughs> at every step of your life, there's going to be a part of tea in your life. But without the um, without the belief and without the strength of um, the readers in the industry, we wouldn't be where we are. You have, yeah, done such a great job at setting uh, Tea Australia up and we can't wait to see it going from strength to strength. But I would love to ask you a 
few little selfish questions about how you best work with publicists and how we can get some coverage in T Australia. So I guess firstly, do you have any advice for those pitching to you and what do you look for in a story for T Australia? The biggest frustration I have with PR pitches is just the lack of awareness of the timeliness and the frequency of the publication. So that is literally number one. And we do have, obviously, a website, tastralia.com.au, and we do update that website several times a day. So there's obviously scope for last-minute things. However, if you want print, um, we are quarterly. Next year we're going to be bi-monthly. But it is just the awareness of – so twofold. If something is happening tomorrow, you know, I can't help you. And often it happens like, oh, we've got – and I understand there's embargoes, but like, oh – this, you know, designer is launching a collection, blah, 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 tomorrow. Like, okay. Well, if you're happy for me to file that away in my fashion folder and come back to it when we have something relevant, cool. But then I just would appreciate people being aware of the fact that we can't cover that overnight many of the times. Um, and then twofold is just if we want to work on something big, again, just we just need a little bit of time to work up an interview or a photo shoot, something like that. So for me, the timeliness of it is probably the most appropriate thing. Um, I don't actually get that many inappropriate pictures in terms of content or subject matter, I'll be honest with you. Um, I get a lot of the big spammy things, like the big mail ads, but that's okay. I don't mind those either because sometimes they can spike a, spike a story or an interest. I don't really mind those. As long as people understand that I may or may not be able to um, answer straight away. I do answer eventually. I answered emails from February the other day, which was kind of embarrassing, but I, I do try and get to them. They are in my inbox. I don't delete them. Um, so the, um, yeah, the frequency of the magazine or the publication that you're pitching to would be the first thing that I would um, – I would suggest to be honest with you, I don't really have any secrets or any amazing tips. My main bit of advice is just to be honest. I'm a really transparent person. I'm very kind of self-deprecating. Everyone knows about my weed life. Um, So I like to translate that into the way I work with people and into the magazine. And I would like to have that sort of relationship with PRs. So, um, it's just about being honest and about being authentic and about being genuine, about not overpromising or not overselling something. Just be really honest about it. Um, we like to bring integrity. I would like you to bring integrity. And together those two things can make some beautiful magic happen. So it really is just a matter of be honest. And I don't necessarily need exclusives all the time because I'm completely aware of the fact that we are a quarterly magazine and that's going to be difficult for us to have an exclusive. However, my motto or my mantra for tea in particular is if we can't be the first, we have to be the best. That's it. You can't be the first and I totally respect that but we have to be the best at the way we do it. So for example, issue number four, we've got Dan Ricardo on the cover. Now, Dan Ricardo clearly has had coverage this year and I do not expect McLaren or anybody else to stop Dan from talking to people, not a problem. However, I expect with no apologies and no excuses, I expect our story and our cover and our photo shoot to be the best he's ever done by far like that is uncompromising it has to be the best story the most in-depth story the most revealing story the most honest story and the photo shoot has to be without doubt a way that you've never seen dan 
before. Full stop. When we launched the issue, we had Emma Wiggle. I'm sorry, Emma Watkins, who's the yellow wiggle on the front cover. We choice and yet completely T. Australian, female, strong, successful, global, um, massive journey, massive man of success, PhD candidate, health advocate, really broad. And we presented her in a way, we weren't the first people to interview her. We were the best. Absolutely. Did we do a photo shoot? That was the most unexpected way of seeing Emma Wiggle. Absolutely. Emma Wiggle looked hot. She had boobs. She had a bum. She had amazing hair. She was herself. So that's what we do. We make sure if you do want to pitch me something big, which I love, that's what we got to do. I don't have to be the first, but I want the best way to present someone and I want to make it something that people will remember for a long time. People still talk about that Emma shoot because it was like, holy moly, Emma's grown up. It's like, yeah, well, she's actually always been grown up, but um, we've just decided to, you know, show her in a way that shows off her personality and her intellect and her beauty. And that's what we did, for example, with Dan as well. We, we showed him, oh my God, we got him to wear this purple Prada onesie and he rocked it. Honestly, I thought he's never going to go for it. But he looked, oh my God, he looks so cool, you know. And if you kind of present it um, to people in a way, I mean, it takes obviously 12 months of negotiations to get these things across the ground. But um, yeah, if you kind of present it in a way that's respectful and a bit of fun, I think that's the main part of our magazine too. You have to be fun. Um, then they go for it. And then we can create something really special together. So in terms of looking for a story, try and give me something that is just different, not the usual, run-of-the-mill. I can tell when a singer is on the media trail or an actor is on the media trail and you have to do, and you know you're going to be on the cover of Stella and all this. It's like, I'm not interested, not interested. I need to do something in a way that's different enough for it to be able to be timeless and classic enough for a quarterly magazine, which then means I have to up the quality of what we do. I absolutely love that and I think that really just shows the mindset of Tea Australia uh, and how you do things differently and it's all about being the best. I think that really, really sums up what the magazine is and I have to say I'm so excited for the Daniel Ricardo story. I am a massive fan, so <laughs> be reading away. And I guess from your perspective too, I would love to know, how do you think young publicists can start to build relationships with journalists such as yourself? First of all, don't be shy and don't be terrified. I can just tell when some poor person has been told to call me on my mobile phone to follow up and you can just tell, oh, hi, I'm like, it's fine. You know what? Half the time I'm probably like, we're all working from home at the moment. Half the time I'm probably cleaning up the kids' pajamas or something. Like, it's totally fine. Like, we're all human beings. We're all fine. It's all good. There, there needs to be zero hero worship at any stage. It is absolutely no need for that whatsoever. Um, there seems to be, I mean, it's changing now. But I do not need to be wined and dined. I do not need to be taken out for lunch. I do not need coffee. I don't need any of that sort of stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like people just feel like that's the thing to do. But you know what? Seriously, a fabulous, short, intelligent, succinct email with a pitch. That's how you start. But it's got to be a good one. You know what I mean? Like that's how you start. Because then I see where your mind's at. Then I see how you think. Then I see how you... Um, how you want to work with us, how you engage. And then I also see how much you know about tea from a simple email. And I have got absolutely no problem whatsoever talking you guys through what we're working on or sending. I've got my whole 2022 um, 
I've got my whole calendar ready. I can send that to you anytime. I can send you my themes, my dates, my deadlines. It's right on my desktop. I can just send it. It's no problem. Always feel free to ask. You know what? I also like sending people PDFs of the whole magazine. And you know why? Because we're a new publication. We're a year in. We've been in lockdown. I totally, I mean, you can actually buy the print edition online. It's no problem. But if you just want to have a look and pitch better, why wouldn't I do that? Why wouldn't I send you a PDF of the magazine? So don't, um, and I know there's a lot of media companies that don't do that. And I respect that because there's obviously, I'm the publisher, so I can kind of, I can afford to do that. It's no problem. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to, um, I'm happy to share whatever assets I've got at my end to help you guys pitch better. So in terms of starting relationship, an email is great. Make it short and sweet and really tailored and relevant, which shows that you understand what the mag's about. That is the best way to start. And then if that goes well, then we've got a good 10, 15 years of working together. I love that. That is great advice. And it's some that I think all of us youngies in the the Caden Co PR team will definitely be taking on board and I guess to end our interviews I've had such a nice time chatting to you but to end our interviews we uh, end with a series of quick fire questions on how you best work with publicists so are you ready yes okay email or phone call email coffee or wine coffee and wine (laughs) <laughs> good answer digital or traditional media digital first thing in the morning traditional throughout the day instagram facebook or tiktok insta all the way yes good answer press release personalized pitch or both both well that takes me to the end of my questions but i would also love to let my listeners know how can we learn more about t australia and get our hands on this latest issue with daniel ricardo We have got a website chock full of information and stories at tastralia.com.au. You can buy copies online and all of our content in the magazine goes online throughout the year for free. There's no paywalls ever. There is a contact button. It comes through to all of us, the whole team. I think it's g'day at tastralia.com.au. Feel free to email at any time and it will get um, disseminated to the right people. Check out the stories online. We've got... um, stories from the magazine, unique stories. We've got all the information about buying the magazine. Um, we've got all our contact info on there, um, Instagram handles, the whole thing. So we're, I hope we're pretty transparent and pretty accessible um, because like I said, we're new, we're only a year in and we'd love to expand our circle of contacts and people pitching ideas and people coming out of the woodwork to say, hey, you know, it'd be lovely. It'd be lovely to hear from everybody. And if we can ever help with um, any assets from our end, please don't ever be shy to ask. Just send me an email and we will do our best to help out. Thanks, Katerina, and thank you so much for chatting with me today. I really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for listening to The Press Office with Kate & Co PR. Please subscribe, rate and review via your favourite podcast app and please give us a follow, like and share on Instagram at Kate Co PR.